Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Laura Byrne, and this week, everything you need to know about the trial of Jerry Hutch. Now, if you check in with every news offering today, you'll see the bearded face of Jerry Hutch splashed across main stories. Known as the Monk, the 60-year-old walked free from the Special Criminal Court yesterday and was pictured wading through a media scrum. He'd just been found not guilty of the murder of David Byrne in the Regency Hotel in Dublin in 2016. Now, the trial centred on the shooting of Byrne at the hotel as part of a violent feud between the Hutch and Kinahan crime gangs. The state's case was that Hutch was at the Regency himself that day, and it relied heavily on the testimony of former Sinn Féin councillor Jonathan Dowdall. However, the judges of the Special Criminal Court yesterday delivered a scathing assessment of Dowdall's contribution and found that there was not enough evidence to prove that Hutch was there. So what now for Gerard Hutch? What does the ruling mean for how Gardaí and the state approach organised crime cases in this country? And is there still a feud to be concerned about between these two organisations? Does this verdict show that the SEC is doing what it's supposed to do? Well, to look at this, I'm joined today by Frank Graney, who's courts correspondent with News Talk and Today FM. Frank, thanks so much for joining us today after what has no doubt been a busy couple of days for you. Yeah, it really has. Thanks for having me on. Laura, happy to be here. Can I ask Frank, firstly, there are a few people now in the country who wouldn't be in some way familiar with the Hutches, but give us a bit of background on the gang itself and who is the monk? Well, interestingly, first on, on the um, ins and outs of the Hutch gang, this trial was actually the first time before an Irish court that we heard any evidence in relation to the existence of the gang. We heard that evidence from a detective superintendent called David Gallagher, and he gave evidence of the Hutch gang being intergenerational uh, familial gang with uh, close bonds, close associates. And he said that this gang has been in existence for some time, but he said that um, in his experience, it has galvanized somewhat uh, since the events of the 5th of February 2016. And since I suppose the feud with the Kinahan cartel really um, exploded, Jerry Hutch is widely seen as the head of the family. Um, he was given the moniker the monk some time ago because of, I suppose, the frugal way that he lives his life. Um, he doesn't go near drugs. He despises drugs. He doesn't drink very much. Um, Jerry Hutch was extradited back to Ireland from Spain in September of 2021, 20, uh, but he was born in Dublin. He grew up in Dublin's north inner city. His first criminal conviction, it's hard to believe, but the first recorded criminal conviction against Jerry Hutch was when he was just eight or nine years of age. In November of 1971, he was brought before the Children's Court for stealing a bottle of red lemonade. And throughout his younger years and his teenage years, he was in and out of court, in and out of the Children's Detention Centre, previously known as St. Patrick's Detention Centre and Mountjoy Prison too. And he, I suppose, like many of his peers, slipped through the cracks when it came to getting an education in this country back in the 1970s and 80s. In fact, he famously said that he described Mountjoy Prison and his time in prison as college for criminals. He couldn't read or write, but he learned how to do so uh, within the walls of Mountjoy Prison. And he also learned how to be a career criminal. Now, that said, the last recorded criminal conviction against Jerry Hutch was back in 1983. And, you know, if you look at his 
career as a criminal, if you would like to describe it as such. You know, you can see, as is the case with so many young offenders, you can see the offending gets more serious, more violent as the years go on. He has convictions for burglaries, for larceny. He's widely suspected, although never uh, charged or convicted of being involved with two of the largest uh, bank heists in the history uh, of this state. He was interviewed um, on suspicion of being involved in the murder of a 14-year-old boy in Crumlin in Dublin, uh, but again, um, never charged and never convicted of that offence. So he has led a very colourful life. He's got a very dangerous criminal past. And having been extradited back from Spain in September of of 2021, uh, he was charged with the murder of of David Byrne, uh, a known associate of the Kinahan cartel, who, as we all know at this stage, was shot dead at the Regency Hotel back in 2016. And ultimately, Jerry Hutch has been acquitted of that very serious offence. So there's no denying that Jerry Hutch is a colourful character, Frank, but for those of us who are old enough, like myself, to remember the Celtic Tiger, he was seen as a fairly innocuous crime figure back then, even driving a cab at one stage. That's right. Now, he has had his brushes with the law, as I mentioned, and he has in the past made a significant payment to the Criminal Assets Bureau, over one million Irish pound, as it was at the time. Criminal Assets Bureau, as you all know, was set up in the wake of the murder of the journalist uh, Veronica Guerin. And Jerry Hutch, as it turns out, was one of its first major targets and he was forced to make a significant uh, payment to it. And as you say, then he did have a number of uh, business interests and he claims that that's how he's made his fortune through various property deals. He also set up um, a limousine chauffeur company and there's some very famous footage of him driving around Dublin's north inner city, wearing a chauffeur's hat, driving a stretch Hummer uh, limousine and he called his company cab and that was probably a nod to the Criminal Assets Bureau although the initialization of it was actually carry anybody but it was definitely a dig at the Criminal Assets Bureau. He's well respected in his community, well known in his uh, community. He's described as an ordinary decent criminal um, in the sense that he never got involved in in drugs. He despises drugs as I say and, and that is one of the reasons that I suppose and I think it was actually Veronica Guerin who gave him the moniker the monk because of the frugal way in which he lived his life. Nothing flat about uh, Jerry Hutch growing up. Um, you know, as I said, he stayed away from the drugs. He didn't drink that much. Uh, and he was he was seen as this ordinary, decent criminal. But there's no two ways about it. I mean, he has some very serious criminal convictions um, he, for violence and for, for dishing out some very serious assaults in the past. But, um, you know, as I say, he's been suspected of being involved in a number of murders, but never convicted. And that was certainly the case when it came to the conviction for or the charge of murdering David Byrne. Yeah, I think it's important not to veer too far away from the records of these criminal gangs. And when you look at the Hutch gang itself, Frank, what do we know about them now? Well, I suppose in light of what happened at the Regency Hotel, 2016 um, was without a shadow of a doubt the bloodiest year of the feud between the Hutch gang and the Kinahan cartel. There were 10 people killed, 10 people lost their lives during the feud. Uh, that year. Um, 18 lives in, in total have been recorded direct, as a direct result of the feud uh, between the two gangs. But I suppose through the work of Angarda Shiakana, over the years, what we have seen is, I suppose, the explosiveness and has been taken out of the feud. A lot of people have come before the courts. There have been some very significant convictions on the back of the feud over the years. The Special Criminal Court in particular has been very busy over the years dealing with the fallout uh, from that feud. Uh, in relation to, I suppose, how the uh, Hutch gang stands today, it's hard to tell. You know, many insiders would say that it is on the verge of collapse, that a lot of its senior associates are either in prison, dead, or um, are 
keeping low, I suppose because of the amount of heat that it was attracted on, on both gangs as a result of the feud. The guards have come in for a lot of criticism over the last 24 hours or so in relation to how they approach the case against uh, Jerry Hutch. But it's fair to say that over the years, they have done a remarkable job. They have really, I suppose, protected lives. There are countless um, uh, instances where they actually thwarted attempted assassinations and they brought people to justice. And they certainly have taken a lot of the heat uh, out of that feud. It's hard to say definitively uh, whether that feud has been put to bed. You suspect not, but certainly the retaliation killings. And in the end, they weren't even retaliation killings. Such was the strength, I suppose, the Kinahan cartel. It became very one-sided very quickly. And a lot of the bloodshed was meted out by the Kinahan cartel. When you look at the Regency shooting itself, then, Frank, it was a violent, it was almost a, a very reckless incident and one that brought huge heat on both gangs. And as you say, it was probably the catalyst for the for the dismantling of many of them. I, I think that's fair to say. I mean, you know, it, it wasn't actually the catalyst of the few that happened maybe a year beforehand with the um, murder of Gary Hutch, Gary Hutch was a nephew of of Jerry Hutch and he was shot dead in an apartment complex in Marbella. He was targeted by a gunman over there. And what happened at the Regency Hotel then, you know, a year later was seen as a retaliation and a revenge killing for what happened to Gary Hutch uh, over in Spain. Now, David Byrne was a known associate of the Kinning Cartel. He was 33 years of age when he was shot dead at that event uh, at the Regency Hotel back in 2016. But it is not believed that he was the intended target that day. It's believed that Daniel Kinahan was the intended target that day. Daniel Kinahan is widely believed to be the leader of the Kinahan cartel. In fact, he has been identified as such before the high court in this country. Um, Daniel Kinahan was one of the founders of a boxing a club called MGM, which was based in Marbella, and it was one of the co-promoters of this so-called Clash of the Clans, a boxing event that was due to take place in Dublin on the weekend of the Regency uh, Hotel shooting. So the feud was very much underway, but it really kicked off after what happened at the Regency Hotel. In fact, just a few days later, uh, Jerry Hutch's own brother, Eddie, Neddy Hutch, was shot dead outside his home in Dublin City. As I say, 2016, the bloodiest year for the feud, 10 people lost their lives. And most of the people who lost their lives as a result of this feud were connected in some way to the Hutch gang or the Hutch family. And there have also been some very innocent lives caught up in the crossfire. Some people have been killed in cases of mistaken identity. And one of the tactics um, deployed by the Kinhane cartel, and I should point out that while you know, the Regency Hotel murder trial did hear evidence of the existence of the Hutch gang. And that was the first time that that evidence has been heard before an Irish court. It is important to point out there are lots of members of the Hutch family that have no involvement in criminality whatsoever. And the Kinane cartel at times targeted those um, innocent targets because they were seen as easy targets. They wouldn't suspect to be targeted in such a way. And that caused Jerry Hutch, again, who is widely seen as the head of the family, that caused him great unrest and great stress. And Frank, can you talk us then through the trial itself? What was the main evidence that the state was relying on here? Well, specifically in relation to Jerry Hutch, the case being made against him was that he was directly involved in the murder of David Byrne. And when I say directly, the case that the state was putting forward was that he was one of two hitmen um, who shot David Byrne in the lobby of the Regency Hotel on that afternoon on the 5th of February uh, 2016. He was accused of being one of the men dressed in tactical gear who stormed the hotel that day armed with AK-47s. 
Now, I personally was taken aback um, when I heard that opening address by the prosecutor, Sean Galan, because up until that point, I mean, clearly we all knew that Jerry Hutch was going to stand trial for the murder of David Byrne. But what we didn't know was what the specific allegation was going to be leveled against him was going to be. So that was the first time that we um, that we learned of that. In the background, then you had that dramatic turn of events with Jonathan Dowdall, who himself was due to stand trial for the murder of David Byrne, pleading guilty to a lesser offence, and um, that being accepted by the DPP. And as we all know, the murder charge against him was dropped. And we learned at his sentence hearing for the facilitation of the murder of David Byrne that he was willing to testify against Jerry Hutch. Now that was remarkable, and um, that happened a couple of weeks before uh, the trial opened. So in that vacuum, I suppose you had a lot of speculation as to what Jonathan Dowdall was going to bring to the table. What was he going to say in relation to Jerry Hutch? And it actually delayed the opening of the trial because clearly Jerry Hutch's defense team had to get their head around it. They had to have a look at the statement. They had to go through it with a fine tooth comb. They had to, I suppose, change their approach to the case. And on that opening day, again, when Sean Galan got up and he said the state's case was that Jerry Hutch was one of the hitmen, I must say I was quite surprised because I guess the feeling was that Jerry Hutch was going to be accused of perhaps directing proceedings from afar, that perhaps he was the one who gave the go ahead that he was pulling the strings, but wasn't actually there. But that certainly wasn't the case put forward by the prosecution. They put him there front and center in tactical gear with an AK-47 in his hand, and they went further and accused him of being one of the two gunmen who shot David Byrne. So the opening day of the trial was absolutely remarkable and everything that happened in the 52 days that followed, uh, certainly and Frank, if you'll allow me just on that, it looks like Gardy and the DPP were very confident about what Dowdle was about to say. But if we look at Dowdle himself, who is he and what's his connection that we know of to the Hutch gang? Well, I suppose in the years leading up to the trial, Jonathan Dowdle would have been known as a, a Sinn Féin councillor. He was a, a councillor on Dublin City Council for a, a time, a very successful businessman as well. He was an electrician by trade. He grew up in Dublin's and North Inner City. He did very well for himself. Um, he had some major clients around uh, the city through his electrical business. But Jonathan Dowdall, I suppose, first landed on my desk for all the wrong reasons when he was um, uh, before the courts in relation to an entirely separate matter. Um, through the course of the investigation to what happened at the Regency Hotel, Jonathan Dowdall became a person of interest. And that was because his father had booked a room at the hotel, a room that was subsequently used by uh, a member of the hit team. So Jonathan Dowdall came on the Garda radar. He was put under surveillance. And on the back of that, a decision was made to search his home on the Navin Road. Gardaí suspected there may be firearms, perhaps explosives in the house. Through the course of that search, then, they found a USB stick uh, hidden in a kitchen cabinet. They took that away. They seized that as evidence. And I suppose when they uploaded it, they were quite surprised, like everybody else was. And I've seen this footage because there were some video clips on it. These video clips were very disturbing in nature. They showed Jonathan Dowdall wearing a balaclava, threatening and waterboarding a man who had cable tied to a chair in the garage of his home on the Navin Road. His father, Patrick, was also involved in the false imprisonment of this man. Uh, this man, the victim, was a convicted fraudster. Um, Jonathan Dowdall tortured him in his home, uh, threatened to kill him. This man was in great fear of his life. So that was obviously a prosecution that, that was then pursued by the Gardaí. And again, they just happened to come upon that evidence. He had kept that footage. He had hidden it in that kitchen cabinet. It was found as part of a separate investigation. Jonathan Dowdall and his father they were both handed lengthy sentences for that. So that was the first time that I suppose Jonathan Dowdall um, 
crossed my desk. And then it was remarkable. I'll never forget the day where he was brought to court, um, accused of murdering David Byrne, of being involved in what happened at, at the Regency Hotel. So what a dramatic fall from grace to go from being a respected public representative and member of the community and a successful businessman to being not only convicted and sentenced for a very serious and appalling crime committed in the garage of his home, but to then be implicated and brought before the courts in relation to the most grotesque attack um, in the Regency Hotel that led to David Burns a murder. Now, fast forward to just again, just a few weeks before the trial began and Jonathan Dowdo brought before the court again, pleaded guilty to that lesser charge, murder charge against him dropped. So it was a very dramatic uh, turn of events that led to Jonathan Dowdall ending up in the witness box as opposed to the dock. And it would be months before we learned exactly what Jonathan Dowdall had to say, because his evidence was saved until closer to the end of the trial. And Frank, was it almost surprising then when you did hear the evidence that he presented and then the special criminal court judges were having none of that evidence in their ruling yesterday? No, I, I think that is fair to say. And Jonathan Dowdall gave evidence over the course of a number of days. He spent most of his time in the witness box um, being cross-examined by Brendan Grehan, who was the defence barrister for Jerry Hutch. Now, at the crux of it, um, at the crux of his evidence, was his claim that he met Jerry Hutch in a park in Whitehall in Dublin a few days after the Regency Hotel attack. And he claimed that in the park that day at that meeting that Jerry Hutch had confessed to him his direct involvement, that Jerry Hutch had told him that he was one of the two gunmen who shot David Byrne that day. Again, that was the case uh, pursued by the prosecution. And this is what they were relying on in the end. The testimony of a proven liar, a self-confessed liar, a man described by Jerry Hutch's barrister as a master manipulator, somebody who had a very serious criminal record, had a very violent past, and somebody who also had something to gain by testifying on behalf of the state. And I'm talking about the dropping of the murder charge. Now, the prosecution was at pains to point out that there was no link between Jonathan Dowdall deciding to testify and the decision to drop the murder charge against him. But interestingly, in the court's ruling, Ms. Justice Tara Byrne said she and her colleagues on the bench didn't feel that he had a come to God moment or felt that it was just the right thing to do to testify against Jerry Hutch. And they were satisfied that he did it out of self-interest, that he had something to gain. And that was a charge leveled at him um, at a number of occasions, a number of junctures by Jerry Hutch's uh, barrister. Another allegation that he made against Jerry Hutch was that um, he was present when his father, Patrick Dowdall, handed over a key card to a room at the hotel uh, to Jerry Hutch. This was supposedly the night before the uh, attack at the Regency Hotel. We now know that, that room was later used by a member of the hit team, uh, Kevin Flatcap Murray, a known dissident Republican who has since passed away. Jerry Hutch denied that. There was no evidence supporting that meeting. Jonathan Dowdall's father, Patrick Dowdall, wasn't called to give evidence to corroborate him one way or another. And in the end, I suppose the judges had to approach the evidence of Jonathan Dowdall with extreme caution for lots of reasons. Um, firstly, because he was an accomplice. Jonathan Dowdall is serving a sentence for his role in what happened to David Byrne that day. And also because he's a possible entrant into the witness uh, protection program. So clearly the judges had to consider his evidence, um, you know, with or approach it with great caution. 
and they were not satisfied to rely on his evidence alone. So what they did next was they looked to see if there was any independent evidence in the case that could support what Jonathan Dowdall told them in his testimony, anything to corroborate what he had to say. And after trawling through all of the evidence, they were left wanting, they found nothing. And that's what led to Jerry Hutch being acquitted. But that is despite the fact that the state, the DPP and the Gardaí were hoping that recordings and CCTV would be enough to back up Dowdle, but clearly the court not agreeing. No, and that was a 10-hour recording that was played in full for the court. I listened to every second of it. This was recorded on the 7th of March 2016, so a number of weeks after what happened at the Regency Hotel. And unbeknownst to both Jonathan Dowdall and Jerry Hutch, uh, Garthy had secretly bugged uh, Jonathan Dowdall's Toyota Land Cruiser. Jonathan Dowdall drove Jerry Hutch to and from a meeting with his Republican contacts in Northern Ireland on that date back in March of 2016. 10 hours recorded, 10 hours played in full in court. And the prosecution claimed that there were certain segments uh, in that recording that supported what they were saying in relation to the allegation against uh, Jerry Hutch, that certain things that he said supported what Jonathan Dowdall was saying. But the judges disagreed. And to be honest, having listened to every second of that recording, and the two men talk about lots of things. They talk about the movement of the AK-47s. They talk about some of the details about uh, the shooting. But at no point did Jerry Hutch admit any direct involvement in what happened at the Regency Hotel that day. And I found it quite remarkable, actually, to think that, you know, Jerry Hutch would, just a few days after the shooting, spill his guts to Jonathan Dowdall in the way that Jonathan Dowdall claimed at that meeting in the park. And yet just a few weeks later, when they're seated in a car driving to and from Northern Ireland for 10 hours, that there would be no mention of it. And more than that, then Jonathan Dowdall uh, wouldn't bring it up there was absolutely nothing in those rec- recordings to support the very specific allegation that was made by the prosecution. And there will be a lot of legal experts looking at this case, won't there, Frank? Some saying that state's witnesses like Dowdle are not the most effective tool in the DPP's disposal in these cases. But if we shift now to the special criminal court itself, Frank, it's often used as a political football and it has been controversial down through the years. Can you give our listeners an indication? Why was it created in the first place? Well, the legislation underpinning the establishment of the Special Criminal Court was set up almost 100 years ago back in the 1930s, but it wasn't until the 1970s that the first Special Criminal Court was set up. And back in the 1970s, emergency legislation was enacted to deal with cases directly arising out of the Troubles um, in Northern Ireland. Clearly, in the 1970s, it was the height of the Troubles. There were a lot of um, terrorism offences that the Special Criminal Court would have dealt with throughout the 70s, 80s, and indeed the 90s. And still to this day, you would see a lot of cases involving dissident Republicans being dealt with by the Special Criminal Court. And I suppose the reason it was set up, and I should say the big difference between the Special Criminal Court and the ordinary courts is that the judges um, are the judges of fact, as opposed to um, a jury, as would be the case in a court like the Central Criminal Court, where murder offences are traditionally heard. Now, the court was set up as, I suppose, a way of ensuring the effective administration of justice. You know, it it is set up on occasions where it is felt that an ordinary jury may be interfered with in some way, that they may be intimidated, that they may be vulnerable to being bribed, that there may be a fear factor in returning uh, a conviction. So what happens before the Special Criminal Court is the case is heard and ultimately decided upon by three judges. Now, I know the court has come in for a lot of criticism over um, the years. There are a lot of people that out, out there say that it infringes on people's right to have 
their case is heard before a jury of their peers. But I actually haven't worked and covered cases in the special criminal court quite a lot over the years. I see the benefits of the court too, because unlike a jury court, the special criminal court, as we learned in relation to the ruling uh, in Jerry Hutch's case, they have to outline in great detail how they arrived at their decision. That isn't the case in an ordinary jury trial. We simply get the verdict guilty or not guilty. Now, in the special criminal court, the judges will have to outline again, in great detail, every piece of evidence that they considered along the way, their decision-making process is there for all to see. This was a 138-page judgment. You know, everyone is entitled to pour over the decision of the courts. And there is obviously an avenue of appeal then if that arises and people can go through the judgment with a fine-tooth comb. So I do see the benefits in having a case like you know, gangland cases, which the special criminal court has become, I suppose, more commonly used for over the years. Indeed, the very same year that the Regency Hotel attack took place in 2016, a second special criminal court was set up because the court became so busy dealing with, with gangland cases. And we have seen as a direct result of the feud between the Kinahans and the Hutches, a lot of high profile cases coming through the special criminal court over the years. Well, anecdotally, I know the feeling was that high profile gangland figures, they'd prefer the format of 12 jurors. But maybe yesterday's verdict is proof then that the special criminal court is working. What yesterday showed was that, you know, the right decisions are made, not always the popular decisions. And that's a criticism that I think is sometimes leveled at the special criminal court, there is a suspicion that the court will lean on whatever verdict the establishment wishes to return. But certainly in my experience before the special criminal court, and indeed any court in this country, it isn't a case of a conviction at any cost. The And everybody is free to look through that uh, lengthy ruling, as I say, and the judges took great care in how they approached the case. They took almost 12 weeks to come up with their ruling. They went through every piece of evidence with a fine tooth comb. There was great reasoning and great detail behind every decision that they made in the lead up to their decision to acquit Jerry Hutch and equally in their decision to convict the other two accused, Paul Murphy and Jason Bonney. And that is the great thing about the Special Criminal Court is that you do get that level of detail and that you and I can talk about the inner workings of the decision making process when it comes to convictions or acquittals. So before we turn to the verdict on Hutch himself yesterday, you mentioned the other two defendants there. Can you tell us what these men were convicted of yesterday? Well, both Paul Murphy and Jason Bonney were convicted of the same offence, that of facilitating the criminal gang behind the murder of David Byrne through the provision of getaway vehicles. Uh, Paul Murphy is a taxi driver and he was accused of allowing his silver Toyota Avensis taxi to be used to take one of the hitmen away from the car park of St. Vincent's GAA Club, which is just a short distance away from the Regency Hotel. And it is believed that that's where the hit team made their escape from having ditched the silver Ford Transit van that they arrived at the hotel in. Now, Paul Murphy had claimed that the identification of his taxi in CCTV footage that was presented to the court and the case against both men was circumstantial, but he argued or he made a number of uh, uh, legal submissions in relation to the identification of his taxi. He claimed that it couldn't be readily identified in the CCTV footage. The court disagreed. The uh, defense also relied on taxi receipts that were found in his taxi. And these receipts suggested that at the relevant time in the afternoon when all of this took place at the Regency Hotel, that Paul Murphy was actually picking up fares in another part of the city. Now, the prosecution claimed that those taxi receipts were doctored, that this was essentially a false alibi to try and explain away his involvement. The court 
yesterday, having viewed those taxi receipts, concluded that they were inaccurate and unreliable. And in the end, they convicted Paul Murphy um, of that facilitation charge. Jason Bonney was accused of allowing his black BMW X5 Jeep to be used uh, in the getaway. One of the hitmen, Kevin Flatcap Murray, was seen getting into this Jeep, having fled the scene of the Regency Hotel after David Byrne was shot dead. Now, in his defence, Jason Bonney claimed it wasn't him driving the car that day. He actually blamed his late father. Um, There was a rebuttal witness called on behalf of the prosecution. Jason Bonney's brother-in-law, the man married to his sister, gave evidence of being in the company of Jason Bonney's late father uh, on the afternoon of the Regency Hotel shooting. So the court did not believe, they did not accept the evidence of Jason Bonney in relation to his late father, William, driving the car that day. And they actually criticised him for trying to implicate his dead father. He too was found guilty of that charge. And both men, for the first time, were remanded in custody yesterday and their sentence hearing is due to take place on the 8th of May. And the maximum penalty uh, that can be handed down for a charge of this post-conviction is five years in prison. So, Frank, if we look at Jerry Hutch himself, he walked free from the courts yesterday. Uh, the judge is eviscerating Jonathan Dowdle's testimony. Is that the end of the state's case against Jerry Hutch for this crime? Yeah, um, Jerry Hutch turned 60 in Wheatfield Prison last week, but he would have spent last night out free. Um, You know, as soon as he was acquitted, the judge directed his immediate release. And I suppose we on the press bench, and there were many of us given the level of interest in the case, you can imagine the press benches were uh, full to the brim yesterday. Um, And and we were speculating as to whether or not he would actually leave the building um, that afternoon or whether some sort of special arrangements would be made to maybe take him back to Weefield Prison to pick up his personal belongings or whether certain security measures would be put in place um, to ensure that he's able to leave the court safely. But for whoever decided or whatever the reason for it was, Jerry Hutch walked straight out the front door of the courthouse a short time after he was acquitted. He was met by a media scrum. I'm sure you've seen the photographs on on the news and the video footage of him leaving the courthouse, jumping into a taxi. And as it stands, Jerry Hutch isn't facing any criminal offences, certainly not in relation to what happened at the Regency Hotel uh, or otherwise. There was some reportage, some speculation as to whether or not he would be immediately rearrested and perhaps charged with some new offences. That certainly didn't happen when he left yesterday. So as it stands, Jerry Hutch is a free man, free to do um, as he pleases. Time will tell whether or not he decides to go back to Spain. That's where he was extradited from back in September of 2021. But I suppose what is clear, and we spoke a little bit about, you know, the the feud between the Hutches and the Kinhens as it stands. I mean, certainly back in 2016, there were rumours and reports that there was a million euro bounty placed over the head of Jerry Hutch. And he was actually recorded talking to Jonathan Dowd all about it um, in that bugged conversation between the two men. And he was laughing about it, describing himself as the million dollar man. But the reality is that if this feud, and we've no reason to believe that this feud between the two gangs doesn't still exist, that Jerry Hutch as the head of the family would certainly be a big target for the Kinnahans. So time will tell whether or not he stays in his hometown of of Dublin or moves on further afield to somewhere like Spain, where he has set up a life for himself in the past. And could we see more charges brought against anyone else around this shooting or is that a line drawn under the uh, 2016 events? 
Well, certainly from Agarda Shiakana's point of view, this is still a live investigation. Um, there is nobody else facing prosecution in relation to what happened at the Regency Hotel. But that's not to say that further charges or more people could be brought before the courts in due course. You know, the reality is, and, and this this is uh, tragic for David Byrne and his family, his mother Sadie and a lot of other family members of David Burns were in court yesterday, clearly disappointed. They feel like, you know, they've yet to receive justice for the murder of their son, because let's not forget that back in 2018, Jerry Hutch's nephew, Patrick Hutch Jr., also stood trial for murder and the charges against him were subsequently dropped and he too walked free from the courthouse. So Sadie Byrne feels like they're still searching for justice. Nobody has been held responsible for the murder of David Byrne. We do have Jonathan Dowdall and his father, Patrick Dowdall, serving sentences for their role in, I suppose, providing a hotel room at the Regency Hotel to the hit team. You have a very well-known IRA man called Shane Rowan, who was handed a lengthy sentence after he was caught with the AK-47s that were used in the Regency Hotel attack. And in May, you will have Jason Bonney and Paul Murphy sentenced for their roles in the getaway. But as it stands, nobody has been held responsible and accountable for the murder of David Byrne. And you've obviously covered this from day one, yourself and your colleagues, uh, as you said, unprecedented scenes yesterday outside the Special Criminal Court. What was it like for you and colleagues, Frank, covering this trial? Unique, busy would be the first things that spring to mind. There was an awful lot of interest in every second of this trial from start to finish. So it was a difficult trial to cover in, in that sense. There was a huge spotlight on the Special Criminal Court for each and every of the 52 days of the trial and and the same when the verdicts were were delivered and you were always conscious of that i suppose again the main difference between the special criminal court and an ordinary court like the central criminal court where you have a jury is that they are a little bit easier to cover from a reportage point of view because you don't have that added fear of saying the wrong thing that in front of a jury or you know potentially prejudicing a, a jury so there was a little bit more scope to i suppose talk a little bit about the color around the case to have a little bit more of an a, opinion in relation to the evidence and certainly the legal submissions that ordinarily would be made in the absence of the jury and could not be reported on until after the fact we were able to i suppose share information in relation to what was happening there but it was surreal I suppose having followed this story now for what over seven years, it's been seven years since David Byrne was shot dead, and we all know what happened in relation to the feud. So to actually see Jerry the Monk Hutch sitting in the dock day in, day out was uh, absolutely surreal. Um, it was a dramatic case. Um, but also, and I think what happens with these high profile tri trials uh, more often than not is people kind of forget that this isn't just a source of entertainment. You know, there was a life lost here. Granted, David Byrne himself had a very colourful past. He was a known associate of the Kinian cartel, but he was a young father. He was 33 years of age when he was shot dead in such a brutal and callous way. He had family members, as I say, in the public gallery uh, day in, day out. Must have been very distressing for them to see the remarkable CCTV footage of their son, their brother, their friend, their partner, being shot dead in cold blood uh, in the reception area of the hotel that day. Frank Greeny, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Zora.
Thanks again to Frank Graney for joining us today. You've been listening to the Explainer podcast by thejournal.ie. This episode was brought to you by producer Nikki Ryan. If you'd like to support all the work we do here, head to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute to make a one-off donation or become a monthly subscriber. And of course, you can always leave a review and a rating wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.